G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to turn our attention today to the connection between alcohol and cancer. Well, what a topic to talk about. Well, the World Health Organization is warning that if current trends continue, the world will see a 60% increase in cancer cases over the next two decades. The greatest increase, an estimated 81% in new cases, will occur in low- and middle-income countries, where survival rates are currently lowest. After tobacco, alcohol is the second biggest cause of cancer, long before other risk factors such as infections, physical inactivity or sunlight. As Christians, we might have a wide variety of views on alcohol consumption, but I suspect many would want to unite with a common focus when we are confronted by the threat of alcohol as a carcinogen. Now, this is not new. Science has known since the 1980s that alcohol causes cancer, but public awareness and policy action is considered inadequate in comparison to the growing threat. This is where our conversation is going today with our special guest, Shane Varco, who is the CEO at Dalgano Institute. It's one of the 270-plus member organisations of the World Federation Against Drugs. And uh, always great insights whenever I have Shane on the radio. And Shane, I want to make a special welcome back to 2020. Very kind, Neil, and thank you for the opportunity and Happy New Year to you. I don't think we've spoken prior to this. First time this year and uh, perhaps yeah. not the last because we keep uh, talking about some of these very, very important issues mm. and yeah. always appreciate your deep insights, those sorts of things that we're not really hearing on the surface. So going a little below the surface and getting into these sorts of issues, just starting off here, Shane, I mean, we're talking about this issue. I know just recently mm. there was a special World Cancer Day and a uh, big focus this year was on the idea of alcohol. Uh, this is something that is coming to some new levels of prominence? Look, I think awareness is growing, Neil. That's true. Fourth of February is World Cancer Day, officially World Cancer Day, and uh, alcohol did get uh, a rating, uh, a considerable rating, because of the statue you actually brought to bear. But again, the data's been there for a long time, but people are starting to realise now, particularly uh, because of what's happening in the developing and um, and emerging uh, cultures around the world, where we're in our first world culture, we've become a little bit more aware of it, although we don't, for various reasons, uh, go after it, and we can talk about that later on. But uh, but it's certainly the the impact health-wise, public health-wise, individual health-wise, community health-wise in the developing countries is quite catastrophic because of the inability to engage and deal with the, the cancer development. And, of course, there's about... And eight different cancers that are that uh, are heavily affected by alcohol, which um, which is a real concern. So yeah, it's getting more prominence now, which is great. So we and we want to see that move forward for uh, for all the right reasons, of course. 
Uh, you know, I was talking around the office uh, before coming on the air today and uh, saying this is the sort of thing we'd be talking about. And, and uh, just the, uh, the shock from some who I spoke to around this issue, a connection between alcohol and cancer. And, uh, and somebody asked me, uh, you know, which cancers are the ones that are most effective? You say there's about 20 uh, that are affected most significantly by alcohol. I might just uh, cl- uh, clarify here: you're not a doctor, uh, so no, no, we, no, so no. we won't be talking about uh, you know the the specific uh, cancers. But you said there's something like twenty different cancers no, that no. are quite significant. No, I did six to eight. I did six to eight. Oh, six My to apologies. eight. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. No. So look, look. Certainly, throat cancer, mouth cancer, uh, bowel cancer. Uh, uh, one of the some of the key ones, of course, liver is is a big issue. But it, it is interesting how alcohol. And the data that's emerging, and particularly in the last ten years, around alcohol and mouth and throat cancer has been quite, quite disturbing. And and again, it's not new as as in 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 the sense that it's new data that's landed, but it's emerging as much more of a culprit than people imagined uh, in in early studies. And it's interesting that you know, ethanol, um, which is a pure form of alcohol, is is always been a, a class one carcinogen, the same as asbestos. Now, that's pretty disturbing when you've got, uh, and, and so we flavour the ethanol and then we ingest it. Obviously, it's got to have some in- implications. Of course, there's a little bit more going on than, than just that very, very uh, base description of, of, of alcohol. But, yeah, it is it's concerning. And those, um, and those cancers, those 6 day cancers are, are quite prominent. They're the ones causing the most harm. Well, I know most people have, when it comes to cancer issues, and particularly women, what comes to mind is breast cancer. But as I understand it, breast cancer is one of those big uh, common cancers uh, where alcohol is a huge risk factor. Correct, and I didn't mention that. You're right, and thank you for thinking me up on that, Neil. No, correct, that is another issue. And that's a real concern, uh, considering some of the emerging behaviours and attitudes around alcohol in the last 10 years, which we are getting on top of. Culturally, we are starting to address these. But what they call the uh, yummy mummies, um, you know, morning morning teas and afternoon teas issue, which would become a real a real problem that the, the female demographic engaging in uh, particularly wine use. And I was interested to hear your, uh, your, uh, your previous uh, speaker regarding to investment in, in wine companies. Yes. Um, Yep. Uh, I thought that was fascinating. I just I having to tune in on that that section. And again, uh, it's the the use of alcohol was the concern was there was this kind of uptake of alcohol in the mornings or even in the afternoons. It's kind of a mummy's afternoon, you know, sort of helper. In fact, there was a wine that's ten years ago, a wine created uh, by a company on the central coast of New South Wales called uh, Mummy's Little Helper. And uh, it was so uh, that was blatantly um, uh, out there to you know man- manage stress. This is the stress management tool. Now, unfortunately for our culture, we've we've started to to come uh, push back against that kind of narrative quite heavily in the last, particularly the last three years. So we are seeing a curtailing of that because women are being made aware that you know the the, the ten o'clock wine with the girlfriends and the three o'clock wine with the girlfriends isn't healthy for a number of levels, not simply the cancer issue, but on a number of other issues. And so that's that's been that's been uh, positive. I think that development's been positive. But yeah, it is a real concern because the amount of consumption, uh, particularly for, uh, for, for women, was, was escalating. And then the breast cancer link is very, very clear. It's, it's undeniable. And so that's another reason why that, that, uh, should be, uh, that kind of conduct should be curtailed. Yeah. 
You know, I suspect we'll talk some more about government inaction when it comes around the alcohol issue. Mm-hmm. But but alcohol yeah. is a huge industry and uh, there's a huge yeah. advertising promotion and nobody wants to advertise the fact that there's a connection between alcohol and cancer. So uh, is, al- is alcohol advertising in some ways here like a deception, uh, keeping people from the facts here? What are your thoughts? Because it is a big industry. Uh, people want to yeah, say all well, nice things about why you should drink alcohol. Uh, of course. Look, I think the industry is starting to, because there's been enough pushback, and we've been part of that, uh, along with that many other groups, and we're part of coalitions both uh, nationally and uh, in the state of Victoria, that are challenging. And because Victoria is one of the worst states, I'll, I'll put that out there straight away, one of the worst states in this, worst offending states when it comes to inaction against alcohol. Uh, we submitted uh, recently, just as a matter of anecdote, we submitted, uh, along with other groups, to the New South Wales uh, Senate on um, online deliveries and what was happening with them during COVID and the ease of access to alcohol and the poor management and, and responsible serving of alcohol issues being discarded and and uh, yeah, deliveries and of course deliveries being done at all hours and large quantities without identification and we had a, a real win there where this, the state government in New South Wales came out pretty heavily on, on online deliveries and, and, and those kind of things and just incidentally the report came out that December last December 2020 um, and because of COVID was the, and I'm going to use this term, you know, according to the industry, the best month on record for alcohol sales in the country. So, uh, again, they've taken advantage of this. In fact, early days they were advertising alcohol as a COVID coping mechanism. Now, that was that was jumped on. And so the war against the advertising framework is, is in play and the industry is starting to take notice of that. Uh, we're trying. It's been erased, pretty much erased from the sporting, almost from the sporting sector now. Alcohol advertising is almost gone from that. We did a report called "Peeling Back the Label: Alcohol Advertising in Young People." It's on our website, uh, and it deals specifically with the alcohol impact, specifically on young people. But yeah, just just to buy into the whole the, the industry and 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 how it works. Just to give you a bit of a backdrop, you know, people say, "Well, why don't we curtail this?" And and the, with smoking, for example. When smoking hit the roughly the $30 billion impact mark, you know, some 30 years ago, so in other words, the cost to the, the community is overall about $30 billion in ongoing cost care, health issues, loss of productivity, all those kind of variables. What happened was the government said enough. We were only pulling in after they taxed the, the living daylights out of tobacco. They're only pulling in about $6 billion in, in revenue. So no, I'm using rough statistics here, data here, so don't, don't quote me exactly, but around those data. So you can see that the deficit was just too big. So the, uh, the only option then was to push back against the industry and shut it down because you know, the net outcomes were shocking for our, for our economy. But with alcohol, it's different because, yes, the harms from alcohol and FAIR, the Foundation of Alcohol Research and Education, did a report, I think it was 2015, and, and they came up with a a tacit figure of $36 billion a year that it costs our, um, in, in ongoing issues, health, uh, well-being, community nuisance, crime, all those kind of um, real and, and uh, secondary issues, $36 billion. But unfortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately, it's not just about the consumption of alcohol, it's the entire industry around it. So hospitality heavily relies on alcohol and that's the hook that alcohol is in the community and because the alcohol in the community pulls in the sorry the nighttime economy 
and the uh, and the industry hospitality industry pulls in about again I'm, I'm dealing with old data here it's probably about five six years old but 135 billion a year and so the cost it's still we've still got a hundred billion dollar plus benefit to booze and that's a pretty disturbing net community benefit outcome ratio uh, when you think about it but like in other words it's a harder to rein in the alcohol industry because it's so entrenched in the hospitality space. And, of course, that's driven by demand. So, again, you move demand, then alcohol moves out of that space as well. But that's another conversation. But I hope that gives you sort of some sort of context. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Good to have you with us on this Wednesday edition of 2020. And we're talking alcohol and the connection between alcohol and cancer. Shane Varco is our guest. He's the CEO at Dalgano Institute. Uh, it's one of the member organisations of the World Federation Against Drugs. So awareness is something that Shane is very big on. We're taking some calls on 1-800-316-316. Shane, let's take a call or two. Let's hear from David cool. in Murray Bridge in South Australia. Hello, David. Welcome along. Oh, hello, David. Hello. Yeah, Murray Bridge. Yeah, I'm aware of Murray Bridge's issues, yeah. David, what are your thoughts? Um, uh, my thoughts, with the alcohol thing, I just wanted to make a statement. With the advertising, that um, they talk drugs and alcohol. Now, I've been addicted to alcohol in the past. I'm free of it now, praise God. Um, yep, good. But um, they, ought to, they ought to make it known that it's addictive. As, as addictive as drugs. They don't make that clear. Okay. When we talk drugs and alcohol or the marketing side of things there, alcohol is somehow rather separated from drugs. We talk about drug addiction, yeah. but we don't talk about alcohol addiction unless we're talking alcoholism. Right. Okay. Uh, your thoughts here right. for, uh, for David Shane? Oh, David, no, I couldn't agree more. In fact, every statement you'll hear from our organisation and from most organisations in the sector the term is used alcohol and other drugs. It's not alcohol and drugs. It's alcohol and the correct term and phraseology used in the sector and in all the policy frameworks is alcohol and other drugs. Alcohol does the single greatest harm in our community for one reason only. It is legal and socially acceptable as a result. That's the interesting dynamic. You make something legal, its, it's entitlement grows, its permission grows and its acceptability, accessibility and availability also grow. And of course, once you legalise it, you weaponise it for commercialisation purposes. And you're right, David, alcohol continues to be the, the, the drug that does the most harm in our society, but it's being caught up with with other drugs at the moment, which is disturbing, and uh, that's another topic for another day. But yeah, I agree with you totally that alcohol is a drug. Uh, David, does Thank that you. does that answer that query that you had? I mean, uh, you, I'm not sure how much you'd like to share of your own story, but uh, as you say, David, uh, you had a problem with alcohol and you're free from that now. Uh, but uh, did you realise all along that there was a connection between alcohol and cancer? No, I never, ever knew that. That was never made clear to me, ever. This is the first I hear of that. And yet we hear, Shane, that the government's known all about this well and truly. This is not a, a hidden fact. It's not a new emerging fact uh, that this connection's been known, well known, since the 1980s. Yeah, look, I think that's an issue with a lot of, uh, again, the, the balance of, and, and I use that term balance advisedly, 
between economic well-being and or uh, uh, you know, prosperity and balancing against the harms. So this is the trade-off issue, and, and harm reduction only ideologies are always you know always concerning. No problem with the idea and the need to reduce harm of, of drug use, but if that's the only thing you're doing, all you're trying to do is manage a a toxin uh, and try and minimise the harm whilst we try and benefit from it. And the argument around that is, and of course now we've got because alcohol is legal and it's become so entrenched in our culture that it, you know it's difficult to excise that from that economic framework. But the 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 negativities around this, for example, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, that's been on the radar a good fifteen years. It's now starting to get traction. Cancer on the radar the last five, six years, much more aggressively, it's starting to get traction. Uh, of course, familial and domestic violence. Uh, there was a, there was a real pushback against you know, alcohol's involvement because, and I understood why. Um, women, uh, sorry, uh, men weren't be given an excuse. Oh, the booze made me do it, or the drugs made me do it. And whilst that's not an excuse ever for violence and or abuse and or coercion of any kind, it is a strong contributive factor. And alcohol has been a notorious. Uh, contributor in this space for decades, and of course, those like any economic plan, like any industry that you want to 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 be successful and employ people and 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 bring money to the economy, you're not going to highlight the bad things. You're going to keep them under the radar, as they're doing currently with cannabis. The same thing they're doing, trying to keep the bad things under the radar and trying to make it look good and trying to get that into the currents of trade, and again have another toxin in the legal space which will just cause untold damage as well. But that's, again, for another day. David from Murray Bridge in South Australia, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Jason is on the line in Sydney. Hello, Jason. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Yes, uh, good morning. Yeah, I just Hello, wanted Jason. to ask Mr. Bart. Uh, good morning. I just wanted to ask uh, Mr. about um, the uh, his thoughts on... Uh, drinking culture and church, uh, because I go uh, to a church in a, well, it's a relatively well-to-do suburb in Sydney. And um, the the what I've noticed over the past few years that we've been there, some very lovely people, a, a community spirit in the church. Um, but what I've noticed in their drinking culture, uh, there's a, just a, a sizable uh, proportion of people who drink and unfortunately, um, I, like, I don't mind the occasional beer myself, but um, there are some people within the church who are genuinely nice people, but when they've been at church functions, um, they have, um, there are people who just literally got drunk. And uh, I just think um, the, the senior pastor, uh, he got a letter from our church denomination saying uh, only three years ago, three years ago, um, that uh, the the large church denomination that we go to uh, now uh, specifically says no uh, drinking alcohol at church functions, as there has been at our particular church and other groups. But what concerns me, it saddens me in a way, is there's a group of people at the local park and they look rough and their language is a bit rough and sometimes they don't even take the bottle out of the paper bag but I admire them for their honesty uh, in at least that I that they're an open book. And it troubles me in church, and I've been to different church groups, uh, especially in the fancier parts of town, uh, where drinking to excess is just a, a part of life. 
And um, it's even now taken that our denomination has had to write a, an edict saying that you can't do it at church functions. So some of these guys have started their drinking parties from our church at non-church functions, non-official church functions. And uh, I just wanted to uh, if you have comments about church and uh, drinking culture. Jason, just before we go to Shane, I did say a little earlier, there are all sorts of, there's a variety of views that uh, can come around this issue of alcohol. But just to pick up on the things that you're sharing here, and I know that there'll be lots of listeners who'll relate to this, that uh, nobody ever wants to admit that they're drinking too much. And certainly at a church function, people are going to say, yeah, of course, we're drinking in moderation or just a drink or two. But uh, uh, but for different people, they're affected differently, and sometimes that goes too far. Uh, Shane Varco, in your role uh, with Dalgano Institute, uh, what's your response for Jason? Look, that's a difficult one. Dalgano is a secular organisation, although we, you know, we work with religious and non-religious groups because you know we, we don't discriminate in that context. We obviously work with uh, anyone in the community who's interested in better health practice, uh, and better safety and well-being, and, and better resiliency. So that's kind of our brief and. And we do engage with different uh, religious groups, both uh, of the Christian faith and other faiths, uh, but also being a secular agency, we uh, we don't prescribe in that context. Having said that, um, you know, dealings with various groups and various you know, stakeholders, that this issue is has been a growing concern. And in fact, uh, it was only about between five and ten years ago that we, as I understand it, certain denominations lifted the caveats of. Uh, alcohol on their parishioners and some of them have kept them for their, their ministers which is probably a wise thing um, but some of them haven't and I've heard some disturbing reports of, of um, since that caveat got lifted of of pastors, you know, I'm not going to add particular domination or particular pastors but being caught for drunk driving um, um, other indiscretions that are of, of a, um, <laughs> moral indiscretions my, my concern is that alcohol, uh, and, and this is where the whole narrative comes in around, you know, the biblical context. There, you know, alcohol is 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 a, is a toxin, and it has and it does change your sobriety. It's simple as that. And no matter the substance, alcohol does change your sobriety. Now, as I understand, the Bible is not a prohibition document, not at all, but it, it is a strongly leaning abstinent document. So it does push into that space quite heavily. And if one does the research and then we've had to do that because of the different sectors we work in, we've had to present to different groups. We've got uh, um, a very strong evidence-based look at that process. But yeah, I think, I think it's wisdom would dictate that certainly in a, in a, in a, what do you call a church setting, a whatever it is, thing, that would be wise not to have alcohol. I think that would be just simply wise. As for private use, again, what we're finding, a lot of people now are self-medicating uh, with alcohol, which is always a concern. It's not just about the occasional beer with, you know, uh, you know with, a, with a mate um, and they've been sitting on a beer. It's, it's two or three or four in a session, and often that's a stress management tool. Now, one would argue that that's a concern because any time one is self-medicating, with, a, with particularly the legal drug, then you're, you're stepping into a problematic space. and so, But that's another conversation that okay. we can't have right here, but 
No, yeah. and I'll have to cut across you because we're about to go to news. I want to thank Jason from Sydney for your call. Our special guest this hour is Shane Varco. He's CEO at Dalgano Institute. It's one of the member organisations of the World Federation Against Drugs. Shane, let's before we develop any further, let's take some of the calls. A bunch of people who are waiting patiently. Let's hear from Carmel in the Barossa Valley. Hello, Carmel. Welcome along. Okay. Yeah, hi. Carmel, what are your thoughts? Um, well, one, I think alcohol um, is, you know, it is detrimental in our society. That's my personal belief. I've come from um, a drug-addicted, alcoholic life myself. Um, I've been saved for 35 years now. Um, so I know that from my past, you know, the, the situations I would end up in under the influence of alcohol and, mm. you know, and drugs. Mm. Um so I think that as a Christian, and my conviction um, is that, you know, the Lord tells me in his word to come out and be separate. You know, we, we, are, to, we are to be different. We are to look different to the rest of the world. And I think that if we are partaking of alcohol socially or, you know, even at home, um, and the world is seeing this of us, then the question that I've actually been asked in the past is, well, if you're still doing that, why do I need to become a Christian? Why do I need Jesus? Yep. So that's something that is just, that's my own personal conviction, and that's um, situations that I've actually been in. But the other thing is, too, do I trust the government to give out information? No, I don't, actually. Um, you know, I think that, you know, alcohol is a big money-making thing, has been for a long time, and, you know, I think that, the people, we need to be educated in the risks in, you know, what it can actually do. Like if it is a cancer, you know, con, you know if it does contribute to cancer, then, you know, that should be made known. Carmel, you let's know, get a thought or two yeah. from Shane. And there's perhaps especially around this idea that alcohol is a huge industry and uh, there is a huge taxation income that's coming to uh, the government coffers. Uh, Shane, what are your thoughts yep. for Carmel? Look, I, I, I hear the, the heartbeat there, and uh, in the Barossa Valley, of all places, which is interesting, the heart of the wine industry in Australia. Um, yeah, look, it's a, it is a difficult one, and, and as I said before, there's a variety of views, and of course, not everyone who drinks alcohol you know, has a problem with it, nor everyone who drinks alcohol ends up doing something uh, untoward, although you know, sobriety and, um, is, is a really key issue. I think that needs to be revisited, and I think that's becoming... Surprisingly enough, not just uh, in the secular space, sobriety is becoming a more of a popular topic. Uh, where it seems to be in the religious space, it's becoming more of a less of a topic, which I'm fascinated by because I'm, I'm watching that dynamic in play now. Um, yeah, the economy's issues, as I said before, is a really difficult one because people, governments do make money not just out of alcohol, it's clearly the industry that revolves around it. But what's really important, I think, that a lot of your listeners might be, um, and the general public might be, uh, might get across is that uh, you, the nighttime economies and or just cafe economies don't have to have alcohol as a centrepiece for them to be successful. And there are a number of emerging, certainly a number of brewers that exist now, um, what they call boutique brewers, who are coming out with non-alcoholic beverages all the time. In fact, there's a growing industry. And usually it's created by people who have had a, either had a problem with alcohol, but more importantly, people who have watched themselves step into this space because of the expectation of alcohol consumption in their networks. For example, government, public service. I know one industry, one industry group that started up because 
this particular woman said, I could not go to a function in, in a government or bureaucracy that alcohol wasn't insisted upon. And I thought, well, this is really quite disturbing. If anyone has a problem, and if you sit there with, with and I've been in this environment too, because I, I don't drink at all for, for reasons of social justice issues. That's my, that's my um, mandate. Uh, because the culture is struggling with this and therefore it needs another model. And I agree with that, that caller on that model side of it, for, not for religious reasons, but for justice reasons. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, she was saying, I'm really concerned that there is nothing else available. In fact, not just not available, but it's almost a mocking. Well, why aren't you drinking? And I heard someone say recently, I thought it was a great line, alcohol is the only drug you'll question over if you don't use it. And I thought, yeah, Exactly. And that's, and, that, and that's why we have, that has to change. And so we've got new uh, clubs and, and cafes setting up that are, have no alcohol or have, they have alcohol-free beverages, other de-alcoholized. So they taste the same as alcohol, but they don't have alcohol in them. So there are options coming up, and the economies can adapt and change. We don't have to have ethanol at the centre of everything we do. Carmel in the Barossa Valley, thank you so much for your call and just to, to you know give some attention to the fact that there are a lot of Christian winemakers in the Barossa Valley and mm. uh, with a very deep uh, Lutheran uh, foundation in faith and they've mm. been uh, cultural uh, winemakers and uh, make some fabulous wines out of the Barossa Valley. So uh, it's interesting yeah. the way that there is a, a, a balance there and uh, as we said, there's a variety of positions when it comes to the idea of the Christian religious position on alcohol. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Let's take another call. Steve is on the line from Victoria. Hello, Steve. Welcome. Morning. How are you going? Very well, Steve. What are your hey, thoughts? Um, yeah, I just agree with what Shane just said. Like, I grew up in a family and a culture that was, you know, just swimming in alcohol. And when I was 18, I was expected to drink. I even went to a Christian school and everyone was, you know, getting drunk and stuff, but I wasn't a Christian at the time. I've been a Christian for 10 years, but I haven't actually drunk alcohol for five years for those social justice reasons, just seeing so many people struggle and, you know, blokes in trades going home and having eight stubbies a night just to get by and stuff. And But then I also looked into the historical um, wine in the Bible. Everyone says, oh, you know, Jesus drank wine too. But then the wine back then was only like 2% or even less at the time, um, not the you know 8 or 10% that we have now. So it wasn't as intoxicating. So it was a very different product that Jesus was drinking back then. And then looking into Proverbs and all the you know warnings against drinking strong drink and you know spirits and beer and stuff. So really, to me, it's like a no-brainer not to drink alcohol. And I haven't had a drink for five years. I said, and I've never felt better. I don't worry about the next drink. I'm not always looking forward to that you know, when I'm going to knock off and have a beer and that, it's just it's so liberating. And like our culture is struggling with this. So I think as Christians, we should shine the light and point out why it's not a good idea to drink. So well, this is my thought anyway. Steve, thank you so much for your call. A response for Steve from Shane? Oh, I'm a candid, Steve. I appreciate your candour. And, and look, I couldn't agree more. I think, again, there's different reasons, but the social justice issue was a big one for me. Um, the argument for me is, look, you know, if if if... I'm not going to be an example of who, if not now, then when. And I think, and as you said, from your Christian ethos, that sounds like a justice issue is very strong in that space. And I agree with that. I think that's important to, to be that that model that's different. And and again, not not presenting a, pro, a prohibition model, but shining the light of an abstinent model that this is better. In fact, your testimony, your story there is indicative of a lot of people I'm bumping into uh, who are coming forward and saying, look, you know, we're and and the number of writers 
now blogging on this issue. They're coming out of alcohol. And, and in fact, a whole group was started 10 years ago called Hello Sunday Morning, which is another group that just deals with, you know, this young guy who said, I gave up the booze and I got my Sundays back. I thought, who knew? And so the idea of, you know, it's not just health and well-being, but it's, it is a justice issue because a lot of people do struggle with this. In fact, if you go back to the, as I understand, the history of the Salvation Army, uh, one of the big reasons why they, they excised the early days was they, they changed the communion and what they would call communion model was because they were dealing with people who were, because alcohol was the, the drug of choice uh, in 18th century England and um, 19th century England. And so they, they, they didn't want to have these ex-alcoholics or homeless people coming into church and tasting wine in church because sending them back into the abyss. And so they, they, they went to that spice of creating a justice model that said we don't want alcohol in our culture. Now, to me, that, that's a wonderful model and a, and a fantastic stand. And I know a lot of religious groups have done that. Um, historically, like the Lutherans and Catholics, and again, they, they've had a different uh, view on wine. And again, I understand that and, and again, the principle of moderation. Going into the, we, and I won't say too much more on this, Neil, because it's a lot big subject, but the, the, we, we've had to do some research. We put together a, a presentation called, Oh No, Not the A Word. Uh, it's referring to abstinence because that was a dirty word even when I started this sector 12 years ago. But it's now become a, a word of, not just tolerated, but it's actually talked about. So we've got a one that covers all the issues, biological, social, economic, and theological, because the different groups that we deal with religious groups, uh, there's Christian and Islamic and Hindu religion, and we deal with all of them um, at different levels, and they all have different narratives around this. So we, we had to look at, you know, how does, how does an abstinent model fit in that context? So again, I think what Steve's saying, doing and saying is brilliant, and uh, all, all uh, kudos to you, Steve. Well done, Steve. Thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation talking about the connection between alcohol and cancer. Let's take another call. Daniel is on the line from the Wimmera in Victoria. Hello, Daniel. G'day, mate. Good to hear from you, Daniel. What are your thoughts? Mate, I was quite interesting that he just brought up the Salvation Army. I was a member of the Salvation Army for nearly 10 years as, a, as an organisation, you know. I see it as a church, but as an organisation. And I had to mm. sign something, which uh, when I joined the organisation, you know, that you will not do drugs and you will not do alcohol and you will not do this. And, and they set that up as a as a standard there. And, mm. and I thought, well, well, that's okay to do that, but... When you go into the churches, you see people who are obese, you see people who are gossiping, you see people who are doing a myriad of other things, but they're never addressed. And I used to think, like, hello? Like, why are we just focusing on this one issue? Like, obese people, why are we focusing on McDonald's and and, and Hungry Jacks and, you know, and, and fast foods that are, probably just as bad for us as the alcohol, you know? <laughs> Wait till we do some more health segments and uh, we might tackle yeah. a few of those, uh, Daniel. But, but yeah, so, but anyway, so on, the, on the alcohol issue here, uh, your thoughts, Shane, for look, Daniel? I, think, I, think, well, I, I hear that often. And look, Steve, I, 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 um, sorry, Daniel, I, I, don't, uh, I don't disagree with the concerns. Like any sort of behaviour that, that is unhelpful and unkind and or, you know, contrary to the best practices, is always a painful to watch. But I think there's always a risk, um, a risk with the juxtapose between a psychotropic toxin and a junk food or a whisper. 
The difficulty with that juxtaposed is that, and the question I ask of many audiences, and, and we've gone after tobacco with good reason, we've gone after tobacco like rabid dogs to shut it out of our culture. But the question I ask, and I'll ask you, Daniel, and, and your listeners, when was the last time uh, gossip or a Big Mac or a cigarette caused a man to beat his wife to death? When was the last time a Big Mac, a cigarette or a gossip caused a car accident that put two in hospital with paralysis for the rest of their lives? This happens every day with monotonous regularity because of alcohol. And so it's an unfair comparison, not an illegitimate one, but an unfair one. And I think we should be dealing with those behaviours. But once you throw a psychotropic toxin, any psychotropic toxin, alcohol, cannabis, methamphetamine, anything into the mix, you radically change perception, behaviour, ability, capacity, in, and that you do it instantaneously. It takes many years to become a beast or many months. And with tobacco, it takes a long time to die of cancer. But you can kill yourself real fast on any of these drugs, real quick, and you can kill others as well. So I just wanted to just put that out there, not disagreeing with you totally, but I think we need to make a more fair comparison and deal with the severity issues over the the inconvenience issues, if that makes sense. Daniel, thanks so much for your comment. And uh, 1-800-316-316, there is still time to take a call or two more. Uh, let me just reflect a, a, a comment or two from the Facebook post today, uh, Shane. The yeah. Facebook post question, the 2020 question asks, do you trust governing authorities to accurately reflect the fact that alcohol causes cancer? B says, this is the first time I'm hearing of the connection Profit, income far outweighs public health. And then Carrie-Anne says it's not just alcohol that causes cancer. The government is not and will not be honest with the public. They will lose too much money from big pharma. What about scans that are supposedly to detect cancer but can cause it? What about weed killers still being sold in Australia that have been proven to cause cancer just by handling it? And I know some of those will be answered uh, with your previous response to that caller. But um, any thoughts for those couple of comments? Well, look, I think the development of understanding around chemicals of, over years is, is, is ever-emerging. Like when uh, in America, for example, thalidomide was banned by the FDA, uh, they decided not to run with it, whereas Australia said, no, thalidomide's good for morning sickness. And, of course, you know, we didn't realise that it caused the shocking deformities that we saw in not everyone who used thalidomide, by the way, but some. We now know... Cannibal cannabis he causes cancer and has genetic impact, but we're we're seeing its praises as this new wonder drug. But that's been having claims for 120 years. And again, we and, and of course the guy who gentleman I forgot his name who created invented DDT, the saviour of the cotton industry back 100 plus years ago, got a Nobel Prize for it. Of course, DDT is one of the most toxic elements that contaminates the ground permanently. And there's areas in the state of Victoria where um, cattle cannot graze. Um, you can grow other, you can grow food on it, but cattle cannot graze because of the DDT infestation that remains in the soil. It's and so again we have these emerging things. That's why we need to be careful about what we permit. And when it comes to alcohol, I'm going to push this agenda again. We've let alcohol and so people say, oh, it's been in the culture for thousands of years. We're never going to change it. Okay, that might be true, but why will we introduce other drugs into the current of trade? 
Why we want to then introduce another psychotropic toxin into the legal space like cannabis or worse, ecstasy and crystal meth. Why would we do that? I mean, it, it, it beggars belief. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. We need to be careful on all areas uh, and the government needs to be protecting the public health on every turn and particularly the public health for young people and children. They're the most vulnerable in our society and substance use does the growth um, to women and families as well as communities. Shane, uh, running short of time now, uh, the love affair we have with alcohol in Australia probably means that government policy and action is unlikely to move quickly. I think that's what we've sort of come to uh, today in this conversation. But so far as government policy goes, uh, what are your thoughts for what needs to happen uh, in order to actually draw attention to uh, some of these significant issues? Well, I think uh, they're on the right they're on the right path. But obviously, removing of all alcohol advertising from the marketplace is a key issue. There's what they call I think they call the three T's: uh, uh, placement, promotion, and um, pricing. That's right. These are the three P's. If you shift those, you do shift consumptions. Obviously, booze barns are a big one. And what we found in Victoria, the biggest single biggest issue, is that um, under licensing laws. Community impact is not considered as part of the the, uh, the license review. Now, we want to have that put into the system. I think other states are starting to do that. And so we, that, that you can say, no, we're not going to have another venue or a big uh, boxed liquor outlet, one of the big booze barns, because they do a tremendous amount of damage to culture and community. Um, so we should be able to say no to those and be able to hold the council says, no, we're not going to do that, and the council is the final authority. But at the current regulations... The, the big box like Woolworths or Coles can go and VCAT or Victoria or a tribunal and say, no, 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 we, we, so if it's going to do harm, oh, no, that's not part of the criteria, so we're going to allow it. So you get another big booze bar and land in your community, and it's just a, appalling because the law lets them get around it. Now, in Victoria, they're really slow to act, but, you know, the RSA laws need to be better responsible serving of alcohol. And, of course, the, the, the minimum legal drinking age and minimal legal purchasing of alcohol age We've been the architects of that move uh, 10 years ago. In fact, long before that, and we set up a movement called 21B there. It's on our website. And we had um, prominent professors, including Dr. Anthony Lynham, who's now a Queensland MP, uh, who is a facial maxophilial surgeon who was all for raising the drinking age to 21 because all the people he was reconstructing the face of in surgery on Monday morning were 18, 16 to 21-year-olds who'd been out on a bender because of the alcohol culture in Queensland. And he said, that was, that was my, and he says, raising the drinking age would deal quickly with that. And so these are, these are, these are all factors that can make a huge difference. Uh, Shane, we're very uh, inclined to hope that the government will do something big by way of policy or by way of campaigns to be able to put an end to this, uh, since it's not likely to happen all that quickly. What are your thoughts for people listening to us today around personal responsibility, protecting yourself, uh, protecting your family, around uh, drugs and alcohol issues, given that these things are not cutting in through into mainstream understanding in Australia? Your thoughts around personal responsibility? Look, I think that's a really uh, big issue. Demand reduction is the single biggest uh, threat to any any merchandising mechanism. You know, if you don't have a demand for a product, there's no need to make it. It's that simple. So the reducing demand is, is something that individuals can be part of, you know, collectively in their own communities, uh, in their families, 
And as I said, I, I have a home. My home, my children were raised in a home where alcohol wasn't present. Uh, we said they, they, were, they weren't to drink alcohol at kids until they're 18. And when they're 18, they can make their own choice. But obviously getting drunk wasn't an option from any perspective. Uh, but they're calling in and they didn't drink until they're 18. And, uh, and they, are, they are very so, occasional social drinkers at best. And that's their call. Um, so but, but setting up models and frameworks of that model uh, abstinence are really important. And why you model abstinence? I think it's not just oh, don't do what's bad for you. So there's a number of reasons, health, social, justice, um, community, you know, and also not just modelling you know, a, 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 an abstinent lifestyle, but also promoting and engaging with businesses and or products that actually help that. And I think the industry, like I said, there's, if people want to have a beer, and there's a lot of boutique beers that are now available and, and wines that are alcohol-free, engaging with those products and transitioning into that space. And uh, having functions and more and more functions without alcohol as a centerpiece. So when you have a celebration, well, why, you know, I, I remember my my son's twenty first. Just as a this helps give viewers, I, I I was he my my older son's twenty first. They were going back a few years now, but he he said uh, I, they said normally at this time, I said we're supposed to do a toast. I could never quite understand how me drinking alcohol on someone else's behalf was a good thing for them. So what I'd suggest, rather than having a toast, can we come up to my oldest son during the evening and just say one thing you value about him and how important he is to you? Now, when I did that, everyone looked at me like I was an idiot. But I tell you what, at the end of the night, I had a number of people come, come up to me and say, wow, that was a really good idea. And my oldest son said, I had so many people come and affirm me as a person rather than sitting there clinking a glass and sucking on some champagne. And I think that, I think we need to just have new models. I think that's one of the key issues. Not to run around, you know, criticising and, you know, pointing the fingers, but create new models, create new environments. I think that's really important to help reduce demand. Well, you can apply your creativity to how you might uh, bring this sort of influence uh, in your personal circumstances around your family. And uh, for those who've been listening in thinking uh, my local church perhaps uh, needs a little fine-tuning there, so there's some models to suggest in some of those practices. Shane Varko, we have run out of time. I do want to connect people with you because no doubt one of the best ways to take some level of personal responsibility here is to find out some uh, detail about what actually is happening. So to connect people with the uh, the website yep. uh, Dalgano Institute, let me just say... Can I jump in there? Can yep. I jump in there, mate? Yep. The two new ones for this particular issue, www.greaterrisk.com is a really good one-stop shop for young people with parents and alcohol, greaterrisk.com. And the other one is www.21bethere.com. Dot org dot au. 21b there.org.au. Both specific alcohol specific sites. Okay, so uh, special sites on our issue today around alcohol greaterrisk.com and 21b there.org.au. Greaterrisk.com and 21bthere.org.au. Shane Varco is the CEO at Dalgano Institute. It is one of the member organisations of the World Federation Against Drugs. Shane, uh, thanks so much for insightful and uh, full of facts uh, information today, and I'm sure listeners will be appreciative of that. So, uh, Shane, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.